Hey, Mats. Hey, Danny. How you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. Doing, doing real okay. Is it, you know, people say either good or whatever. Like, is there like a, I'm doing really okay. Like, so doing it's re- not, it's not bad. Okay. It's like, I'm doing really okay. It's not, it's not the good, not great. I do that often. I do. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good, not great. Right. But right. there's like, a, I guess, is that a step below good? That's okay. Not all right. You know, my mom, my mom said something to me once that actually I think was really, really good for me. Kind of, kind of helped, helped my life when she said, I, I think my initial response, you learn this as you grow into the world that when people ask you how you're doing, your initial response is always just good. Cause one, you think that's what they want to hear Two, They're not interested in your problems. And three, like you just, that's just kind of what you say. And at one point she said, you know, you don't always have to be doing good. And I was like, I thought about that. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I guess I can be a little more authentic. If someone says, how you doing? I can be like, you know what? I'm not doing very good. Or, hey, I'm doing effing phenomenal, right? I mean, yeah. I uh, so I do I do try to think about that. But anyway, I, I am like doing good. Fun. Yeah, I like going into I like going into a coffee shop. I'll riff on that for a second. I love going into coffee shops, and that's like they always ask you that, right? They're like, "Oh, how you right. doing?" I like to go. I'm having an absolutely phenomenal day. Or like, I'm just <laughs> right. doing. I'm doing. I'm doing awesome. You know what I mean? Right. They're like, whoa, look at this guy just having right. a stellar day. Yeah, I'm, having, I'm about to drink some coffee. It's a beautiful day in Seattle. What is there not to love? You're like, I woke up next to a beautiful woman. I live in Seattle. I'm drinking coffee. Do you even have to ask that question? You know? <laughs> See it in um, my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I'm doing okay. I'm actually really happy to be home. Last week I traveled. Normally we were talking about Mats's, Mats's journeys across the globe, but I... Um, I went to San Francisco last week for what was basically a turnaround flight to have a meeting with uh, with Twitch at their corporate offices in downtown San Francisco. Uh, me cool. and me and Eric uh, went went there and uh, had had some really productive meetings. Not going to get into all the details, but let's just say that the future for chess online as an esport and people wanting to get involved and 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 help create some really cool programs and events is is bright. So that's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Awesome. I like that. But, I think mean, that's one of my, one of my favorite things that we've got to talk about a little bit yeah. of how technology has evolved chess and, and uh, several other things too. So that's exciting. I'm excited yeah. for that. And, and we'll see where that goes. I think we have a lot, you know, there's no shortage of good ideas and, and cool things and a lot, and people that want to get involved in it. Um, so right now we're just kind of trying to figure out how to do it. And the difficulty is that Eric and I are really trying to balance, you know, basically running the chess.com ship and then maybe launching what will make things like the pro chess league and the speed chess championship, maybe like its own completely, you know, new, new thing or entity. And I, we don't know what we want to do yet, but we, we feel like the, the interest in people wanting to get involved in chess events online is, is really high. And so that's just cool, kind of cool and kind of overwhelming and all that stuff. But, um, after that, I flew to New York on a red eye. So like I literally left San Francisco, went back to Phoenix, went to New York on a red eye Ooh. and, I don't know if you saw the event that I was there for. The we did this pro M event with athletes and chess players. Oh, I did not see that. No, no. Well, we'll put the we'll put the link to the video in the show notes. Not, you know, it, it was interesting because the event came together very quickly. We were partnered with the Players Tribune, um, which, for those of you who don't know, it's a it's a media entity that is basically owned by the players. Uh, you know, Kobe Bryant announced his retirement on there. Mm. Some other kind of big letters have been there, and their their whole angle is they give the voice to the athletes. And I know that some of the really really big athletes are actually um, stake stakeholders. Um, I think Derek Jeter is uh, is one of the founders. So. So they're an interesting company and that was a lot of fun. People can check out the video. We didn't have, 
you know, superstar athletes yet, but Jay Williams was there, the point guard from Duke who was drafted by the Bulls. Uh, Larry Johnson, grandmama. A lot of people know Larry Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. oh, he yeah. for the Knicks. Oh, yeah. He, he was an NBA All-Star. So um, you might know Christian Fuchs or Stephen Keel. Those guys were uh, soccer players. I think Stephen yeah. Keel played in the MLS. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. So we did that, and it was interesting. But the the event, I, I normally I, I like to Tarantino stories that end with a twist ending. And and so what I'm going to mid-Tarantino this. I've already kind of told you why I was there, what purpose. And let's say start that- And then roll it back mid mid right. 15- in the movie, right. now it's the ending. I'm pulling a, I'm pulling like an arrival, right, or a memento. You don't even know what timeline you're on right now. That's how crazy this story is about to get. Hit so, me. in fact, I'm going to mix it up here. I'm going through security at JFK. I forget my laptop. 15 minutes later, I'm reviewing footage with the TSA. A guy takes the laptop. We've paused the video. TSA agents have been put in motion. They have the right to apprehend suspects as long as they are in the airport. 30 seconds later, they have to pause the footage because they realize the guy brought the laptop back. Now they're now they're calling all the TSA agents. This is not our guy. Repeat, abort. Do not arrest what? the bald, tall guy with the glasses. <laughs> um, I'm not, I, I, I kid you not. So that's that's so now now i've got that now i've got you hooked now let me back this thing up back it up so i flew out on the red eye and i you know i really lose i like to use this term torture loosely because i feel like we are all you know especially in 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 america and in western european developed countries you know we're, we're so fortunate to live the lives we do materially and and from a comfort level and right now literally as i speak there is probably a mother trying to, you know, crawl through the border in Syria with her baby. And like, I mean, there's so many things that happen that are just so sad on the planet. But, but I will say that first, one of the things that represents first world torture is flying on a red eye on a completely packed flight in an aisle seat with, with absolutely no ability to keep yourself awake. You would rather just stay awake and, and then suffer for it later, right? But when you would like when you're yeah. falling asleep against your will in the aisle seat, you're slamming your head against the tray. You you fall into the aisle. You're you're uncomfortably getting real close with the person in the middle seat. Oh yeah, like, yeah there's nothing to lean against. There's no real way to lean back. You feel bad if you your foot sticks out in the aisle because you yep. know someone's gonna run or trip over it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. it was. Oh, so I know it was five feeling. five plus hours of just like torture. I couldn't stay awake. I was so tired. Um, probably because I also woke up at five in the morning after the, after the late night with Twitch and, uh, you know, to do CrossFit with Eric because he's a psycho. And, um, (laughs) you know, so it was just like, it was, it was torture. And so then anyway, now on the way back home, you understand that I'm a little bit, I'm a little exhausted. We get there. I, I I don't even sleep when I land in New York. I have to go right to the Players Tribune offices. You're drained. uh, Yeah. That's what I would I went right from JFK to the offices to go to do a walkthrough uh, with uh, Eugenia and Jenna. Great mm-hmm. team there at the Players Tribune. We approved the setup. Then I go I go back to the hotel. I, I catch like a quick caddy, a quick like hour and a half nap. But then we got invited to this exclusive NBA draft party. You have to see. We'll put a link to this uh, Facebook video on um, in the show notes here. Mike Klein and I. Uh, Mike, who flew in from Charlotte as like sort of an assistant for me to kind of help with the event, we got invited to go there. I mean, like NBA stars were there. It was it was awesome. I mean, that's um, awesome. I that's cool. I don't want to do a bunch of name dropping, but again, like uh, Markel Fultz showed up. He was the first round draft pick. So, hashtag name drop. Hashtag name drop. I mean, um, one of the coolest hashtag things to do, by the names. way, is say you're not going to name drop and then name drop immediately post immediately. saying that. <laughs> That's the only way to do it, to be honest. Like, I don't want to gloat, but uh, I'm, I'm amazing. You know I'm, what I mean? I'm like, gloat, I don't want to. So, yeah. 
So we do this NBA draft party. So I have no sleep. Then we get up early. We do this pro-am event, which I'm going to share the link to the video for those who missed it. I'm coming back from JFK. Can't wait to be home. JFK, I don't know when's the last time you flew their months. I know you bounce around a lot, so you probably have, but they have these like mm-hmm. these automatic trays, right? You put your stuff on a tray oh, yeah. and you don't even, you know, you don't even have to lift the tray up because it just like moves the trays for you. Yeah. But Part of the problem, this is a good, interesting point about the future of humanity, is as we improve technology, it's like the self-driving cars, where like the technology's gotten better, but human beings are still a crowded mess of sheep at times. So Mm -hmm. the technology moves very quickly at JFK. They move your stuff through the bins, but... But the humans are still kind of crowded around. They get out of line. And so what happened was we put our stuff there. And somehow in the process of me getting through security and having unloaded, you know, I did the whole strip down. I uh, Why do I not have TSA pre-check, by the way? I don't know, but I will from now on. Um, you know, my shoes, my belt, my laptop's out. Everything's out. Um, somehow at the other side, the buckets are not consecutively my stuff, right? They're oh. – and, and, and we confirmed they, this – did they do the thing where they're like, oh, we got to recheck this one bag. So they like, they like, in, they exactly, like intersect right. it and they, and they jam it in there. Now everything's out of order because not only are the humans out of order, but our stuff is out exactly. of order. And we're all, we're all like, we're all like worried. And I'm sure it was like this way too, where like everyone is worried in line. Like everyone's peeking over like the security, like, is my stuff there? Like what's, what is that person too close to my stuff? Like what's up with that gal? Like what's going on? Yep. Like TSA people like, literally move us through this line any slower. Right. Oh, I got to be pat down now. Thanks. Awesome. Now let me just go sit in the corner and worry for a half an hour. <laughs> You're Thanks. streaming yeah, the consciousness. You're streaming the consciousness of 99% of people that travel right now. That's awesome. It's terrible. I love it. It's terrible. It's terrible. So, so I, now I'm going to jump back to the ending. So this guy, this guy brought it back, right? Turns out he's not our guy. We're watching. We're still confused. Where's the laptop? It took us forever to even identify it because of this tray confusion. We're wondering if we're ever going to see it. TSA agents are telling me, you know what, buddy? Most of the time people just bring stuff over. Don't worry. It's probably still here. Uh, and in fact, you know, along the lines of their thinking while I was with TSA for this hour and a half reviewing video footage and trying to figure out who took my laptop. I mean, two people brought over laptops. Somebody brought a Lenovo ThinkPad over, what? people brought in wallets and cell phones. So people are good. I mean, in general, yeah. human beings are good. They're good Samaritans. Yeah. And you know what? They know that they can't steal on camera with the TSA there. Yeah. So this is happening. Now, now we're going back to present. Okay. So now I, I walk through the security line and I grab my bag. I grab my laptop bag. I start putting my stuff back on. Then I kind of scoot you over because I don't want to be that guy who's getting fully dressed right in front of other people who are being ushered <laughs> through the useless x-ray machine. Um, so, you know, I scoot you over. And and every time I watched myself on video, by the way, I was like, I have never willed past Danny to make a different decision harder than I did during those videos. I mean, we watched it so many times and I'm willing past Danny. I'm like, Danny, you bleeping idiot your laptop isn't there yet it's it's after the next bag wait don't go don't go don't go oh you walked away again um so i i walk away not more than a few minutes go by before i realize oh holy shenanigans i left my laptop yeah easy thing to do too easy because you're you're in this hustle and your bustle right and right and there's all these other things coming through and everyone's like the thing is everyone's grabbing stuff and shoving it and trying to get out of there easily so it's easy to just say oh i've done i've done that before with like an id like i was at a bank and i like left it there like at an airport like oh i need to go back and get it you know so um, yeah and most of the time it's there and most of the time people don't do that and so but here's what's funny so 
we're going through this whole timeline. You've, I mean, I'm, I'm making this exciting, right? You've got the action pack, the nervousness. I'm back. I'm going over video footage with TSA. We think we have our guy. No, we don't have our guy. He brought the laptop back. He realized it wasn't his. We're watching person after person of all colors, shapes, and sizes. It's a, you know, you're looking at people. You're like, who's going to be our criminal? Who yeah, took it? Yeah. People are, are just like, they're, they all look at the laptop. They do the quick glance over the shoulder, assume the person is there, and then move on. We went, probably 25 people looked at it, which to me was inspiring because overall, all was like, look, people now it, it was really frustrating that none of them had the wherewithal to say like, hey, this is probably lost. I should take it to TSA because all these people that yeah. were good and didn't take it. But, you know, I would understand they probably all were like, I don't want to touch a laptop that's not mine. And mm-hmm. they probably just assumed that whoever the idiot was who forgot it was right around the corner. Yeah. And as we're going through this whole thing and I'm going through this whole emotion roller coaster, we now have seven TSA agents looking at the video footage with us. People are like, one, this is probably the most exciting part of their day right now. Two, um, the the cops have come, which is POPD. I learned that Port Authority Police Department is is a, I think a federal police agency. They're the they're the cops, like with guns and all in all in all uh, airport terminals. You have escalated it to level two, right? Because they told me yeah. as soon as we kind of establish, hey, it's really missing. Like you're going to want to file like a stolen property report. We called the the yeah. Port Authority, and so I'm like I'm half. I'm half talking to this cop, giving him my basic information. He's building a case while me and the cop and all the TSA agents are looking at this video. And then what happens? We're, the TSA guy's giving me this pep talk. You know what? Now that we've seen so many people look it over, dude, you know, most this almost never happens. People rarely actually steal it. As if the words were were meant to be squashed out of his mouth, <laughs> a guy walks through, grabs his bag, and with zero hesitation, grabs the laptop lifts up his shirt, shoves it down his like cargo pants with a with the belt no. on like it's just secure, lowers the shirt and then continues to walk in stride. His no. I'm telling you Mutz, his lack of hesitation and decisive movement said two things to all of us immediately. Like literally our mouths might as well have just dropped, right? Because it said two things. One, clearly this guy was not bringing the laptop back. Okay, so yeah. now we it's, knew our had our gone. guy. Yeah. And number 2, this guy has probably done this before. I mean, he, oh, yeah, he was pro. if if you're gonna steal, if you think about it, probably to steal, you probably have to be that kind of quick and that decisive, right? I mean, if you hesitate, hesitation killed the cat. You know what I mean? But it's how like, ball, how ballsy to be dude. not only when you told me about this, I got an email. They're like, "Hey, so my laptop got stolen." I was like, "What? That's crazy, right?" And I was like, "Oh, okay, it, it, that happens." But how ballsy to be not dude. only at the airport, but in the TSA security line right. with all these people around you. Like this dude is just like, he is like stealthy McGee over there. Dude, just- and believe it or not, I just gave you the abridged Tarantino version. There's an extended director's cut. Okay. I feel, uh, I feel, I feel disgusted to be honest with you. Cause Danny, I don't know if you've ever seen me go through the TSA security line. One, I'm not an animal, so I have global entry, obviously, in TSA pre-check. <laughs> but there are times that that is not open or I go international and you have to do. So go get yourself global entry. Go sign up for it. I know. It's $100 for five years of automatic TSA pre-check. And when you come back into the country, you get back super quick, faster than anyone through customs. Just go do it. Do it after I, the Dude, show. I'm doing it. You have to do ASAP, it. ASAP. And it's good timing because I have to renew my passport because we yeah. do have an out-of-the-country meeting coming up um, in the fall. So uh to do it. So when I do this, right, Danny, I have like two, sometimes three, yet maybe four laptops. They all have to go in a separate tray. You should see me. I am like that hamster that has like way too much food. He's like, he's like, I don't know what to do. What is going on? Oh my, <laughs> you know, because like I am like that person is going to steal it. That person is going to steal it because that is like it's at this other level, right? Where I am going to 
present this like content, if I lose this laptop, I not only lose like all the source code that A is backed up, but I'm losing all my presence. The sure purpose that I'm in this airport is in this laptop, you know, and it's not just one, it's like three. And I'm just like, and a Nintendo Switch. So it's just like ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Dude, I like, I don't want to go into more details because we got some other fun stuff to talk about in today's podcast. Hope everybody enjoyed that story. But I, I will say that was the abridged version. Quick rack up, wrap up. Um, the cop immediately grabbed me. He's like, hey, we go faster with two people. We're going to go this way. Sent two TSA agents down another terminal. And I was on a hunt for the next hour and a half. What did I learn at the end of this? One, you can steal on camera and get away with it. The guy, whatever, whatever either we missed him or he hopped on a flight. Number two, I learned that CSI shows exaggerate the ability to quickly turn around a facial recognition scan. We know what the guy looks like, but you don't just like pop it into a database and all of a sudden like some random camera in Norway finds out his exact location and you know where he is. I mean, like, it works. doesn't work like that. Oh. Number three, all of you people who are saying, Danny, you find my iPhone. Did you have location services turned on? Of course I had location services turned on, but until it connects to Wi-Fi, you can't actually locate it. I yep. initially, I immediately set up, you know, lock this device upon turn on thinking that I might still find it um, and it didn't want identity theft to happen just that quick. Later on, when I realized he got away, I turned on the uh, basically erase this laptop as soon as it connects to Wi-Fi, um, which I was notified at 7.24 p.m. the next day that it, that it first connected to Wi-Fi. So either it took him that long to kind of hack my password and get in and connect to a new network, but you can't just turn on a MacBook Pro and have it connect to a network that it doesn't know right away. So um, yeah. I also learned this, Apple Care, just something. so you know, AppleCare does not cover stolen property. No, no, no. The yeah, only the only option I have now to get reimbursed for this would basically, I've learned, would be to go after the TSA for some sort of neglect or 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 miss, you know, you know, improper handling of the case and say, hey, they should have found this faster and I feel like I should have my laptop back. But you know what? I don't want to do that because honestly, the TSA was so helpful. They were so kind to me, despite my frustration. They were, I have to be, I have to be totally honest here. As somebody who has spent most of his adult life resenting the living bleep out of the TSA, I had like a little bit of a, of a humbling sort of like karmatic, you know, you know, wake up call to realize, hey, even if a system sucks and even if certain things about a system are broken, often that that comes down from on high so far that you really have to remember that these are there's still people TSA agents no matter what and the system as as messed up as it is and I'm not on some sort of high horse to say oh the whole system makes sense it doesn't it's it's totally broken there's so much unnecessary um you know you know everything we could go on it forever but but in the end, they're still people and they have a job to do. And in my case like this, dude, makes you realize that they do have a purpose. And, you know, the lady coming over who's pissed about her Ziploc bag of pip pickles getting thrown away, you know, doesn't mean doesn't mean anything to them. And so yeah. it was sort of like it was kind of good for me. I, and I, I, you know, hopefully I wish I could have learned that lesson without losing an eighteen hundred dollar new MacBook Pro. But I did have this kind of experience where I realized, you know what? I have an appreciation for this situation. I'm going to be a little more careful despite how exhausted I was. And those are the lessons I'm choosing to pull out of it rather than just say, hey, I was the victim of a terrible person, terrible circumstances, because I was. But I try to have like a perspective like, look, I was a victim, but you know what? You know, it's a good lesson to learn. You got to be careful with your stuff and, you know, have appreciation for some things that maybe you previously didn't have appreciation for. Yeah, I do that every once. I every once in a while, be even sitting in the office here. Like I'm at, I'm at the Microsoft office currently, and I trust all my coworkers. Right, but every once in a while, I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta go up. I want to go grab a coffee, and it's like, I could just leave this laptop 
here or I, I guess I could just bring it with I like always like I'll, I'll just second take it because it's like almost natural reaction now where I want to trust people. And I was actually at a coffee shop, Monorail Espresso downtown, which is one of my favorite coffee shops in Seattle. And I left my wallet like on like up there like because you had to pay in cash. So I left my wallet with a bunch of cash, all my credit cards, all my identity up there. I never do that. Like uh, without my wallet or my cell phone, it's like I'm lost. Right. It's like it's something that's always in my pockets. And I walk away and I'm going, I think I was going to PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo. I was walking back and I didn't realize it, didn't know anything. And out of, like, how easy is that to swipe, right? It's just literally, it's in downtown Seattle with tons of people, all shapes, colors, and sizes, right? And uh, and literally, I'm five minutes later, some guy comes running like this is in downtown. He's running and he's like, Mr. Sir. And I was, I'm, I'm in downtown Seattle. So all the noise around me, I'm completely brushing off or right, like whatever. Right. He's like, sir. He's like, sir, sir with the coffee. And, and like, I, I'm like, I have a coffee in my hand. So I turn around. He's like, I got your wallet. Here you go. And I was like, what? Who is this human being? Where, right. where are we at in another country? It was, it was like, you know, people, most people in general are, are good, good people. It, it's but, inspiring, right? They are. You know what? My wife and I both left our wallets at a California gas station on a road trip one time where I got out wow. to fill up. She got out. We just left them like right there. And a week later, they were mailed to us tight wrapped because they had our offices on the driver's license. Nothing oh, taken, awesome. nothing. Wow. Just yeah. like amazing. You can't drop your guard though. That's the lesson of this of this story, I think. Yeah. Well, let right. me tell you, Danny. Let me tell you, Danny. I did some travel too. Uh, okay. Surprise travel because it was a little birthday action this weekend. And Yeah, happy uh, birthday, by the way. You know, I... I hadn't had a chance to to tell you yet because I was a bad friend. But here's the thing that happened. I don't have your birthday memorized yet. Do you know my birthday? I don't have it memorized. Okay, that makes me feel a little better. All right, because I feel I felt horrible. But here's the thing: if if Facebook notifies me of someone's birthday, I feel like if I I don't wish anybody happy birthdays on Facebook. It's like against my religion. Uh, it's and against it, my laws. It, and if I if I didn't know it was their birthday, I just like dismiss it. And I told myself with you, it's like, okay, I got to, you know, wish Mott's a happy birthday. I should know it's his birthday. And then I forgot. But I realized, one, I won't let Facebook tell me who I should be close to. I'm either, I either know their birthday or I don't. Two, in this case, I am close to you. I should know your birthday. But okay, I screwed up. Apologies right here on the podcast for our, all of our listeners today. Oh, what's kind of funny about you, which I now know your birthday because I went on Wikipedia. It's very oh, public knowledge. Man, you just cheated. I cheated, but I will never forget it because it's the same exact day as one of my siblings. Boom. Boom. I will never forget, which is funny because, you know, our good friend, Michael Rivette. Yep. MSR. Uh, same exact birthday as one of my siblings, too. How funny is that? Now, let me tell oh. you why my birthday is the best day to have a birthday or to be birthed, as I will say. <laughs> it is uh, my birthday is exactly six months before and six months after Christmas, making it the perfect gift giving day because right. it's right in that middle. You're not too close to the to the Christmas. You're not too far away. It is exactly six months. And that's how you will now remember when my birthday is June 25th. June 25th. It's the perfect day. And and every every uh, Christmas or every uh, holiday, every birthday, I should say, for either me or Heather, we do something special. We do surprise travel. We, we like to do a lot of surprise travel. I don't know if you've noticed that at all. Yep. But uh, Heather surprised me and we took a boat a clipper up to Canada land where I did not have my laptop stolen because I didn't even bring my laptop with me because on these travels, I don't bring anything. We went up to Victoria, BC, which is awesome because it's this old, like kind of English English town, these beautiful, like big, huge buildings. It, it was, it was stunning. We had to it's do also high the, home, the hometown of Steve Nash. So obviously exactly. it's a great place. It is a little Steve Nash attack. Um, 
and big fan of the Steve Nash. And uh, we got to do high tea, which is one of my fi- have, have you ever done high tea? I am not. It is the sure. most one. It is the most wonderful experience. And it was funny because we we're on the Clipper, this boat that goes across, and they're like, "Oh, you can make reservations for high tea." I'm like, "Heather, you know I love high tea. Like, I can't wait." And she's like, "I don't know. They're probably, you know, they're sold out." Blah blah. The next day, she surprised me. She's like, "Guess what? We're going to high tea." And it's like, "Oh, oh man, she right." Heather has she just had you she had you thinking that she didn't already know you would want to, but she already had that thing planned. Bait and switched me. Bait and switched me. It. Got me. And we walk into like the place to do high tea. High tea is awesome because it's like it's it's like this fancy tradition that you can do that like anyone can do though. Because you go in and they have like all these teas that you can pick from, and everyone gets their own kettle of tea that comes out. And then what they do is they bring you this multi-tier level of amazing treats and sweets, savory and sweet. You start with the savory scones on the bottom. You go to mini sandwiches up top, all sorts of like little, little like um, um, cucumber sandwiches and like little salmon croquettes and stuff like that. And then in the middle is like all these crazy different desserts. You just take a bite, you know, and you're just sipping and you're enjoying your conversation. You're enjoying life and the environment. Yeah. And everyone's enjoying tea together. And it's amazing. I just, I love it. High tea action. Well, uh, that was my week. I mean, we did a bunch of other stuff too. We walked around and we, we, uh, we got some amazing, amazing food, amazing coffee. Uh, it was really, uh, spectacular. Uh, and it's cool to take a boat because you get to see the, the, the world. But I did not have my laptop stolen. So I don't have such a good story. Well, this um, is a good there. mixture for our fans or, uh, not fans, people who for some reason are listening to our podcast. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, thank you to everybody who does that, but good mixture of somebody's travel who was exhausting and ended poorly and somebody's travel who is making all of us jealous that we don't have the ability to live through you vicariously. So yes, everyone go, go find yourself a high tea place, get it done people. It's great. Well, um, since I'm your laptop that. didn't get stolen this week, Mods, I, I assume that means that there is something coming our way about why technology is currently ruining our lives as you spend a lot of time on your laptop. You're, you're aware of what's going on. You're aware of all the buzzy news in the tech industry. So hit us. Hit us with some knowledge. Yes, I, I still have the capability to browse the inner tubes and the tweets and the snaps and the what's. And uh, <laughs> this... <laughs> This this week is is none other Nintendo shaking it up and ruining our Christmases, I'm pretty sure, by introducing a brand new, I cannot be more excited about this, a brand new mini tiny adorable console, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System Classic. And they make it, oh my God, that, I'm, I'm currently I'm no longer 31, I am seven years old. Yep. I am walking downstairs at our house and I am looking if my mom wasn't there because she told me no more Mario today. Mm-hmm. And I'm plugging in the Mario in the big old cartridge. I blow on it first. I blow on oh, the yeah. cartridge, obviously. And then I shove it in and I turn on Mario, quickly turning down the TV volume so mom doesn't know what I'm doing. <laughs> this That just brought me back. Flashback. And uh, so they did this last Christmas with the NES Classic, okay? So they did this with a little tiny NES that you cannot you, – well, here's the problem. This is the most amazing thing. People don't know the NES Classic uh, essentially is this tiny itty-bitty version of the NES. It's tiny, and it comes with two controllers and HDMI, and they redid the game so they're pixel perfect across these everything, and they have like 20-some games on it, right? Now, it's it's we've seen these before where you go into the you know the mall and you get these little crappy things and it's like this Atari stuff that's terrible. But these are like NES classic games. I mean, these are like the, the, the creme de la creme that they put out there. And it's super fun. So if you never had any of the consoles where you could download stuff or didn't want to hack stuff together, you literally have I these 20 games that are great. <laughs> now, the Super NES, though, was one of my favorite consoles of all time. And it's, it's tiny, right? 
right? Like literally the council itself is smaller than the two controllers that come with it. Right. But what's cool is that they like put out all the ops. Like it comes with like Super Metro, Super Mario World, Star Fox, Secret of Mana, The Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, Kirby Games, F-Zero, Earthbound is in this thing, Donkey Kong Country. And here's what's crazy is they're putting a never before released game on this council, which is Star Fox 2, which never came out anywhere. Like, it's going to blow everyone's mind. The problem is, like the NES Classic, you're probably not going to be able to find it because the NES Classic goes for like 250 bucks on eBay because right. they didn't make enough of them but sold like 5 billion of them. And they stopped making them. So, like, I'm super excited about it, but I know I'm like sitting on the Amazon page refreshing every hour to see if I can pre-order <laughs> this thing. No, so, I love anyways. the blog here that we linked. That's a great a great uh, segue because Jason Schreller, uh, his uh, his blog, thanks for that, but where he says he starts talking about how excited he is and he just literally did what you did and then goes, holy crap, this is not going to, you know, he's not it's going to be impossible to buy this thing yeah and uh, it, it, it looks adorable but anyways it's it it, it it excited my entire life and then brought it to a crush because even heather for christmas last year she's like i spent four weeks trying to find the nes classic and i couldn't wow. and she was so upset about it like we would just go on tangents about nintendo um but anyways i'm gonna get this thing i'm gonna i'm gonna get it well i'm, uh, I'm not quite as excited about um you know, your, your topic for this week about why technology is, is improving our lives or ruining them. If you consider how many hours, uh, people will be spending playing more video games, but, but I am, I am excited just to give a quick shout out. Super happy. I just made myself a purchase. I got myself a flexi desk. So obviously for those of you who don't know, you know, th- this whole industry of the, you know, not just the standing desk, but the ergonomic goes up and down desk is just like blowing up. Right. Oh, and yeah. There were so many options. There's a Vera desk, Flexi desk, uh, some others I can't even think of their name right now. But I I ended up doing a lot of research, which is unlike me. Usually I'm an impulse buyer. I don't do nearly as much research as guys like Luke and Mots, who I aspire to be like. But I did my research on this, Mots, and I am so happy that I did. I got I got a full-size Flexi desk for my two monitors. It's right here in the office where I record. It goes up and down and around. No, I'm kidding. It doesn't go around. I just thought that was funny. But it goes up and it goes up and down. And it feels so good to be standing again. I have a standing desk at home, but these days my life as far as recordings and chess TV shows has really just demanded my time where I'm like always in my recording studio office, which is about 20 minutes from my house. So I don't get to do the stand-up work life as much. And and what I'm learning and what all these health things are saying is that really even just standing all the time isn't great either, right? They say you should sit and stand, move around so that you don't, you know, so that's the healthiest way to work. And I... uh I just, I'm so excited about my flexi desk. I, they're not paying me to do this. Maybe they will pay to be on our podcast. That'd be cool. Uh, someone, someone who has a connection there to flexi, go ahead and send it. Um, <laughs> but I'm very happy. Very, uh, very, I just wanted to say that, that I'm back. I'm back to a life of being mobile, both in sitting and standing, even in my recording studio months. And I couldn't be happier. Well, welcome back to the, to the club, the standing club. Uh, it's my favorite part of my day. And my other part of my favorite day is really going and spreading the gospel that chess every single day is one of the most important things that we can teach our young children. Um, we can teach you, I could just picture you standing on a soapbox on the corner, spreading the gospel of chess. Yes, the gospel of, of chess is like selling them, listen, uh, E4, that's a great opening move, people. Um, <laughs> go for it. Uh, Louis Lopez. Actually, you know what? what's funny about the, the Rui Lopez is I was at a little birthday gathering and and uh, my friend, he goes, um, we were talking about phones and I busted out the chess.com app, uh, name drop, uh, hashtag, uh, <laughs> hashtag, name drop. 
hashtag name drop chess.com and uh 1100 member boom just a diamond member um uh, i like how i gloated about paying you guys a hundred dollars um <laughs> Hashtag uh, diamond member, uh, too much uh, additional income. Uh, I wonder if we can find out the analytics of how many people upgrade just for the vanity of having the diamond next to their name throughout I the did. site. I, mean, I, I, I saw know. other, I saw other people, and I was like, I want that diamond. Here's a hundred dollars. <laughs> so we, I, I literally were sitting here, and my buddy's like, "What? You're on Chess.com? I'm on Chess.com. Did we just become best friends? We were already best friends." But he's like, "We started challenging each other, which was great." And then I started talking about this podcast, this whole thing. And clearly, chess does matter, and some amazing things happened this week. Can you roll it down for us, Danny? Well, I there are a lot of amazing things happening, and uh, some big events going down in in Paris and Leuven, Leuven, Belgium. In case you don't try to make an effort to pronounce things in their in their native like accent and tongue, then you're missing out on Leuven. Um, I I do that all the time. Where like I'm just speaking, um, and then you know. Uh, in the middle of it, you have to say like Smaug, right? You're talking about Lord of the Rings, right? You're just, you say Smaug and then you keep talking like, you know. Um, but the funny thing that happened is an interview went down. For those of you who haven't seen it, I'm encouraging you to pause the podcast and go watch. We'll include a link to both just the raw video and then a link to my kind of breakdown of what happened between the world champion Magnus Carlsen and Grandmaster Maurice Ashley. Um you, I encourage you to go check it out. At, at least watch the raw version. Um, I, I apologize I for the it. for the commentary version because I, I didn't have a good mic that day. But um, it the thing I don't want to go on too much more about it. I gave a lot of opinions in that um, in that video that you guys can click in the show notes about what's interesting about the context of this interview. I actually learned later that there was some truth to something somebody was saying in the chat that Magnus apparently had walked in kind of early and kind of heard them being a little negative about the quality of play of not just him or some others and kind of saying that Grishuk was the favorite in the Blitz, despite the fact that he just won the Blitz, uh, sorry, the Rapid. So I think he just, I think he just got a little like perturbed. Like he went into the interview kind of, kind of PO'd, right? And But the lesson is that it is an interesting thing. And this, I think, is really interesting to our audience. So I'm just going to leave it at this and encourage them to check it out, is that it proves that, one, chess post-game interviews can be as intense as sporting events when you get some coach yelling at a media member who he clearly doesn't like, you know, mm-hmm. or you get Pete Carroll arguing with the Seattle press, right? Um you know, one, if you don't think chess can be, you know, exciting and really peak the emotions and the and the anger and the frustrations of people, then you're just wrong. And you should check out this interview and it can be as exciting as any other sport. But two, chess is chess is unique in that. And that was kind of the main point I pointed out and that I don't think this is the last time this kind of thing is going to happen unless people really learn from this, because for the first time ever, unlike any other sport, the commentator actually does theoretically know more using Dr. Evil quotation fingers than the player in, in that they have the engine, the computer engines are playing at a level that the humans cannot anymore. And they kind of know whether everybody played a perfect game of chess or not. And I think one that it, it, it's just, it's evolution. You can't stop it. It's technology, embrace it. But it also kind of ruins a little bit of the romantic uh, allure and the, and the, the illusion of that these great chess players are infallible. Right. And Unfortunately, though, if you're the interviewer, you have to realize that that doesn't really give you the right to like point out every little mistake. Whereas like an interviewer in a sports um, thing might might question a coach's call. But factually, the coach doesn't get that defensive because it's just the media guy's opinion. There's no proof that what he did was wrong to sub in or sub out. But in chess, there's like some proof. 
And so I, I have a ton of respect for both these guys. I know them both personally. I've played them both. I work with them both. And so I think that Maurice, you know, if he was admitting, I'm sure if he had to do over again, maybe the interview didn't start off so well. And probably there's better ways to ask about how somebody thinks they played than just kind of a general, maybe you didn't play that good. And I think Magnus overreacted, but it's interesting. And, and I think that we have to be careful about this um, in the sense that players are going to get upset if you if if you're telling them everything they did wrong because it's not like you know it went wrong the engine says it went wrong and from the player's perspective guess what it's a sport it's not a science meaning the goal is to win the game not to play perfect chess yeah and it's it's, it's, it's really interesting because i uh, how you how i watched it because this was all over over the all over the chess.com and i watched your daily chess uh chess today and I did enjoy your breakdown. I mean, you had some technical difficulties, but it, um, you know, uh, I, 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 you know, that's how I would say it was like, you know, uh, so Danny, I, I really enjoyed your chess today. And, but I noticed you had a, a few technical difficulties. How would you address those technical difficulties or what do you think, you know, how would you adjust that? Right. I didn't go in and say, so your chess.com t- uh, today video is pretty terrible. I mean, you, you right. did it, you did it. But did right. you really that, do that, it? Uh, Mas, that's a great example. I think I think if you ask somebody specifically, hey, on move 13 here, or or you, you, you do it when you say, look, this was a critical game. You won. Congratulations. On move 21, did you consider this option for your opponent? It seems like you guys miscalculated this. And to give him a specific thing to answer about, if someone asked me about the technical difficulties, I might say, yeah, you know what? I, I think my upload was off. And honestly, the Twitch servers were messy. And, and the truth is, I, I left my microphones in New York. They're being shipped back. And give me an answer instead of just saying, hey, like, your website sucks today right yeah yeah exactly it's like it's like it's like i visit your website every single day but you know it, it seemed you know it was terrible uh and it was interesting because i you could tell and after watching magnus the the, the document documentary on um on netflix and getting a little bit more insight and reading more about magnus and how you broke it down it's like how maurice opened up right i know they've kind of talked about it a little bit more afterwards is he just did that he was like he's like you won the game but like, did you did you really win it? And it's like, dude, just won the game. He just won. Right. Right? He's like, he didn't lose. It's not like you're interviewing the losing side. Like, what went wrong today? It was like, what you know? Like, let's break it down. And what happened was, and I was watching this, and you could just see, like, he lost Magnus. And Magnus, I think honestly, I I, I think he held his composure fairly well. I think that his response, especially at the end. At the end of it, right? That was hilarious. That hilarious. was hilarious. You got that, that was you, the best part of the. I mean, I lost it and laughed, and I, I agree with you totally. And I just want to say, not in Maurice's defense, but I do think, you know, he's done a lot of commentary. I. I, I stand by what I said. I don't think it was the best way to start it. I think the line of questioning is dangerous, as you're pointing out. I think you open the door for people to get upset about it. And whether Maurice agrees or not, or you know his his questioning in terms of how he uses the engine and his style of commentary, that's up to him. But I will say that Maurice kind of knew that he had upset Magnus and did he did try to change the topic, which when you're in an interview like that, and I've done it, when you're interviewing a star, if you see that you kind of like screwed up, you know, you try, you try to move on quickly. You try to change the topic, you, tr- you know, unless you're, that's why some media guys in sports really hate it. We're like, guys really want to keep going after it. Cause they're, they're looking to get famous from the blow up. Maurice yeah. isn't looking to get famous to piss off by pissing off Magnus Carlson. Maurice knew that maybe it wasn't the ideal day for Magnus or, whether he admitted it at the time or not, maybe that he screwed up. But when he tried to move on, Magnus like was not having it. Yeah, like it he just did not happen. let it go. 
Yeah. And, and you know, that happens. I mean, I, I, I have, um, and, you know, probably reflected a lot of whatever else happened throughout Magnus's day, right? I mean, I, I've had this totally happen to me, uh, either at presentations or just even online on, on Twitter, on GitHub or something like that, where I'm writing some code and something just gets in my head, right? It's just that little something like set it off. I can't get it out of my head, but it's like affecting everything else. So it's like, I can't get through this conversation with this person because something that you said early on just got, and I'm not going to be a complete, I'm not going to be terrible to you, but I'm going to let you know that I'm, I'm not happy, right. you know? And I think that's what Magnus did. He's like, I'm going to let you know. And he even said, he's like, what do you want me to say? You know, he's like, what do you, you know, right. how are you even asking me that? And, I, you know, and this happens. And I think maybe it wasn't even, you know, Maurice's fault completely because it's just a slip of a word, right? And maybe Maurice right. in his mind was thinking something different and that just came out, you know? Right. And, and Maurice did try to turn it around and it was interesting, but yeah, Magnus just would not let it go. And I'm sorry that this is going on so long because it is the most interesting thing because you're right. I think it's, it's super interesting that even these post shows, honestly, I watch a lot of chess post, um, interviews and I'm not a really big fan of them, to be honest with you. They're kind of dry. I really right. wish, I really wish that people would go through that route and like do not, not like get people all amped up, but like really diagnose it a little bit more. It's just, they were never really super interesting to me at all. To me, it's just, um, even when I was watching the Magnus documentary, I was like, I really think that if Maurice had approached it a little bit different, like it really could have been a really involved, really interesting uh, interview at the end of it. So um, it'd be interesting right. maybe how Maurice uh, approaches other people or other people that are interviewing, get a takeaway from this and and really try to know that, hey, listen, chess is at this level where this stuff really does matter. You, you make it. You make a super good point there because I wonder if maybe if Maurice had his wherewithal there, maybe you're right. Maybe I mean because you're right. This was a you know no press is bad press, and I think a lot of people are talking about this, and it's kind of interesting. And I think um, if he had maybe seen, okay, I've upset you, Magnus. Maybe can you tell me why you're upset, or even say like, hey, I've upset you, Magnus. I guess I was looking at the engine. How do you feel about how commentators compare the engine to top players? You're right. I mean, oh, like think about it. If good, he had yeah. done something like that, you yeah. would have been on the edge of your seat, right? Because there's tension in the room. And Maurice isn't written. He's not necessarily being a jerk, but he's not backing down either. Yeah. And yeah. that you're, I, I love that point you made. I haven't even thought about that in any of my angles. So maybe, um, you know, that's a great point. I think it should, because I agree that post chess interviews are terrible when they just, they're going through the X's and O's that you already know, like, Hey, in this position, you played this. And it's like, it's just not interesting. It's like, talk about the tensions, talk about how you were feeling, you know, from a perspective of, you know, the criticalness of that moment and what was going through your head. You know, I, I like to joke. Mm -hmm. I always ask these guys in the speech chess championships. I'm like, Hey, what song were you playing in your head? You know, what were you listening <laughs> yeah. to? Like you just try to add some human element to it. So anyway, I, I love it. Great stuff. We did talk about this stuff a lot so um you know i know um it, it, i hope everybody checks it out and and has some you know leave a show leave it leave a comment for us please on the uh on, on the blunders page or you know get at us on social media because it's it's interesting and i'm more curious to hear what people think outside the chess world than i even am with those in the chess world really yeah absolutely i think it'll be uh, it'd be interesting to see how i want to read more comments i want to watch more uh commentary on it but i, I do recommend watching your video and i got to ask you one thing so this is the final part i want to i know we've gone on for for a little bit but i think it's really important in the world of chess as you've talked a lot about um you know getting kids into chess earlier and teaching chess and, and there's a lot of learning that's going on if you were to go back 20 15 years uh, I'm just really interested how you personally in the Mott Assen International Master section of Blunders, 
How did you actually get into chess? Did you have a mentor? Did you, what inspired you to start this career? Uh, well, so I, I first learned, like the first time I ever saw a chess board, I was six. I didn't even learn how to play that day. We kind of screwed around with it, but I have a visual memory of with my friend because um, people have asked the question. When you, so that doesn't really count. I relearned how to move the pieces in play during the summer of 95. I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. Um and my my grandfather had basically had like kind of a mini stroke and he was so we were kind of keeping him busy me and my brother and and in doing so the the, the perfect storm and, and i know there's an entire generation of guys like me that went on to be professional chess players because the perfect storm if you talk to guys that are my age you know uh josh Fredell, friend of mine who's a grandmaster and um you know the, the whole generation of guys um that summer Searching for Bobby Fischer was released, I think, on HBO. Like, I think it was released in 94, maybe, but it, it came out where I could actually watch it. Well, I don't remember where, but let's say the summer of 95, Searching for Bobby Fischer came out, which was, even still to this day, the best dramatic, fictional slash partly true reenactment of a chess player's life. Still to the, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal movie. I mean, the cast, Ben Kingsley, Lawrence Fishburne, um, you know, Joe Montaigne, like that is still the best chess movie ever. And it was an, ins it was so inspiring that my, my brother and I, we didn't even have a clock. We have one of those like, you know, Natel, like red and black checkers and chess sets <laughs> that I know people know yeah. about. And I, we would go play and we would use this book to pretend like it was a clock. Cause we didn't even know how clocks work. And we would move really fast and pretend to be hitting the clock. Like we were just so excited at the sporting aspect of chess. Then it was because of that. So my grandpa recovers and we go to our first tournament, partly for my birthday in October. So the first tournament I ever played, I was, I was, I had just turned 10. It was the middle of October. And, um, guess what happened? I lost every game and my brother went four out of five. And even though our strengths were not very different at all, like for something about the environment just totally rocked me. And, um, it, it really upset me. Like I almost like quit chess then. I was like, okay, maybe oh, this wow. isn't for me. But my grandpa says back at, in hindsight, he says he always knew that like, okay, despite that, he could always see in my eyes that I had a different kind of aptitude and love for the game. I mean, my brother was like a big athlete. He actually went on to play division one basketball and I'm, I'm about five eleven and a half. I'm just shy of six feet and I'm, I'm kind of the, the shortest guy in my family. So, um, we, uh, we continued to play and I, I kind of like begrudged playing because I wasn't as good as him, but, but I kept playing and, um, before you knew it, like we, you know, a community had developed, more kids were getting into chess and, uh, you know, I'm from a small town. So that allowed people to kind of rally around, uh, the environment. And, and we, you know, things just went from there. It was, it was crazy even how it started. And then people asked me, why did I get good at chess? And I always say the answer is later. I got good at chess because I was good at chess. Like it's like a catch 22 where the, the, I don't know where the circle begins because I think partly being a, a little bit of a small guy, I grew up later in high school and then partly like kind of the, just, I consider myself much more of a competitive gamer than I do a scientist where I, I've worked with so many kids throughout the years where I can tell the difference right away when I deal with a kid who enjoys the art and they just love the lesson. They love my, they love what I'm teaching them. They love getting better, but they don't necessarily love the, the nervousness and the pressure and the thrill of competition. I feel yeah. like I was the opposite. It was like, once I started playing well, my motivation to get better was just exponential yeah. and and so, you know, that, that was just, that was kind of what happened. And I was a competitive kind of kid. And, and, um, so that, that's a quick version of it, but we had a very, a very, very good scholastic team because of the community, you know, we won national and state championships and, you know, very quickly at 12 years old, I was, 
already the highest, you know, one of the highest rated players in the country. I made the all American team. And then at, you know, at four, 14, right after I turned 14, I broke master and became the youngest master in Arizona history. So it kind of, kind of just went from there. And, uh, you know, I, anyway, so does that, does that answer your question? Kind of the quick, this is a, again, the abridged version. Cause that's what, <laughs> that's what people want, but that's it. Yeah, no, it's good. I, I always, I'm always intrigued because I ask a lot of people how they got, I got started with development or got started with, with Xamarin stuff or got started with XYZ and everyone has their own, their own tale and their own story and looking back. And if it's a, it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, or maybe there's just something that, that really sparks it. So I think it's a really intriguing a way of looking at it. And then also kind of how I apply that to me relearning chess right now. I have a lot of friends that are currently starting to relearn chess because it's like, oh, we used to play chess a long time as kids and then we stopped. And then now this trend is I have a lot more friends playing chess and specifically playing chess on their phones, um, you know, in this in this connected ecosystem that we have. So it's interesting the drive and what I what I am, am trying to look for is like, is there a connection in the drive that I have to learn more and more? And what I what I am trying to see and what I'm trying to learn is as I play more and more chess uh, is the patterns, is the is the the like I'm a problem solver, right? And right. I want to try to take that and apply it to this is not only the problem, but we've talked a lot about, but what is the the next problem that's going to occur from the solution that I'm about to bring to the current problem? And then what is that other person on the other side, you know, applying to me? Because when I'm fixing a bug in code, like there's a problem, there's there may be a new problem that sparks off of that, but there's not a someone that's aggressively trying to introduce new bugs into the code. You know right. what I mean? That's not a thing. I'm I'm so not a developer, but I'll use a. I, I learned this from all the developers in my company. Whereas uh, Jay, our CTO, would say the difference between someone who just reacts and fixes a bug in the moment and those who write tight code, as he calls it. Mm-hmm. And he always said that tight code. It allows you to fix bigger picture issues, and it also prevents small bugs like a catch-22 because you're writing things so tight that when something goes wrong, it's easier to find it. Whereas when you go through someone's sloppy code, you can see that they basically laid Band-Aids on things, and one Band-Aid after another means that you know the architecture of something is just not going to work properly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, cool, awesome. I love it. Um, hopefully everyone loved this crazy, awesome episode all over the place. This is probably my favorite. We bounced around, man. So good. Well, people can find us anywhere on the internet at Daniel Wrench, at James Montemagno. You can, of course, find the show at our wonderful URL, blunders.fm. And of course, if you're using Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a review. We would absolutely love that. We would give you high fives and please, challenge please you. Please, leave us a positive review. Yes, uh, it'd be absolutely lovely. And you can, of course, email us directly by going to blunders.fm and hitting that contact form if you want to write into us. We love it. So let us know. Until next time, oh my goodness, Danny, I love you Monty, so much. Love you, babe. Have a have a good week uh, and uh, till till next time peace out hugs and kisses